Startup Podcast, an insider perspective on the startup ecosystem in the great state of Connecticut. I'm your boy, Michael Kaufman. And this is Eric Francis. Dave Menard. James McLaughlin. Let's do it. So, gamification. We're starting strong, guys. Y'all know what gamification is? Does everyone know? You need a little... I mean, I know. I know how to play basketball. Uh-huh. Would your opponent that, that, say you do? Yeah. So, so basically, you know, we'll do we'll do for all of our listeners who actually don't know what gamification is, uh, or, or don't have the full definition. It is the use of game thinking and game mechanics in a non-game t- context to actually engage users in solving problems and increase users' self-contributions. You read that off of a website. Actually, Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> the old Wikipedia. But, <laughs> but in all seriousness, gamification is super hot right now. It's popping up everywhere. And the reason we're actually talking about this is because right before this episode, we stumbled upon an app called Quest, Level Up Your Life. And it's actually... It, Does it really say level up your life? It literally says... Level up your so life. So it's for your uh, your nephew yeah. there. Or whatever. Oh, that's right. All you D D gamers in the house go yo. <laughs> Basically, it's it's task management. So it's a, it's it's a, you know a to do list, and as you accomplish these tasks on that to do list, your character actually levels up. Uh, come on, <laughs> come on. It's a to do list. If I start playing this, I guarantee you the most mundane things I do throughout my day will end up on this to do list. Oh, yeah. Brush your teeth. Floss. Go to the bathroom. Oh, drink yeah. apple juice. <laughs> yeah. I will level this character up, max it out at level 100 by the end of the day. Do we really need this? I mean, gamification serves a purpose, don't get me wrong, but is this too far? No, I, I don't know that we really need this. Uh, gamification is great to get people to do things they don't already want to do. So I, I'm preaching to the choir here because here we have Mike Kaufman, who runs Movi Interactive, which has a program called Fitness Face Off, right? And, and Mike, your program is gamification for health purposes. So it's a funny you say this. It's funny you kick it off like this because I was all for the term gamification for a while, but then it started popping up everywhere. And I spent a lot of time thinking about it. We're not really gamification because we went a different route. We're a full-blown game in a lot of ways. There's elements of gamification, badges, and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, when you boil it down, it's, a, it's an actual strategy game that revolves around fitness. So it, it's, it's encouraging people to do more through a game. Where gamification, in my opinion, is like rewarding your sales team for accomplishing a task with a badge. You know, when you close 10 sales, you know, you get the whatever cheesy tagline they come up with uh, for, for closing that 10th sale. So I think, I think it's a little different, you know, something like this, you know, something like quest level up your life is, I think is kind of the, the, the epitome of what gamification is. Yeah. And so I would agree that you're, I don't think that your app is necessarily, it's not a it's not gamified because it is a game. Like I mean, mm-hmm. it is. I mean, it's a, a stupid kind of way to look at it. But but like Audible, right? So I listen to a lot of lot of uh, audiobooks, and Audible has this thing where I, I'm looking at it right now. It says the badge collection, 
Now, the only one I have is High Noon, and that's kind of crazy because I've listened to a lot of freaking books on there. Um, but there's, like, the badges, and then it's the listening level, which is, again, the newbie. I need to listen to 34 more hours to get a novice. I mean, that kind of pisses me off right there. Okay, so like, I, I, will I, just wanna... I will have to say that. I will have to say that because uh, it's just like, what the hell? I'd listen to, like, 40, 50 books on there. Okay, so I just have to point out that Eric started that statement by by – by showing how much he didn't like, he was going to say, you know, we don't need gamification at this level. And then he was really <laughs> upset that he hadn't achieved right as much. I think he just hit play and he's not <laughs> yeah. even listening to it now. He's letting him run in the back. But listen, you know, like, so so there's there's apps like uh, the Fitbit app and Jawbone app. These apps incorporate these game gamification dynamics. There's badges throughout the day. You know, you there's, there's ones where if you move a certain amount, you actually move across a country. You move across a state. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you go up 10 flights of stairs, you will get the helicopter badge. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think these are great. This is, in my eyes, this level of gamification actually encourages you to live a healthier lifestyle. You can make that argument about quests that it actually encourages you to live a more productive lifestyle. But there's, it's too easy to literally game the game. It's, 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 you could just add countless mundane tasks just and do beat it. the system. And yeah, at the end of the day, just do it. If there's a game, if there's a game, somebody's going to find, find a way to cheat. Um, and so actually, uh, we were just, James, you were, you were just talking about a game that actually may actually have some real yeah. world implications. <laughs> yeah. I think we've been talking a lot about games, which can kind of seek to change personal behavior. I know, you know, I use an app called coach.me, which if you do a particular activity, say running, uh, you sign on your app. There's a big circle with a check mark in it. It's a huge button, and you get to press that button. It turns green, and it says, you know, you ran today. You're on a streak of running, you know, two, three, four uh, days, or you've run, you know, three or four days out of the past week. Um, you know, there is something. There's a little bit of a reward there uh, for pressing a big button. Uh, to check off something that, that you do that maybe you wouldn't ordinarily do. Uh, and, and that's that's one thing, uh, one aspect where I think gamification can be useful. But I, I, another... just, I just have to put in that I have the same app. It's donut.me. <laughs> and whenever I get to that donut, that button feels great. You know, thank God. I, you, you came in with two donuts today. Yeah, I actually exactly. took one. So, <laughs> But I think another practical uh, field where it can really be applied is turning uh, scientific challenges or computing challenges not not uh in, into actual uh puzzles where you have useful results one is a game which has been around for you know six or seven years called folded uh, a team of uh, bioscientists uh, working with proteins and amino acids um, came up with this game uh, to kind of crowdsource figuring out how certain amino acids can fold into proteins it, you know amino acids can fold in a huge number of ways into different proteins. Uh, so what they did is they turned it into a puzzle and they, they gave it out to people. And so people are, are, are people who like to solve puzzles are, are solving uh, puzzles without necessarily knowing that uh, they're building a particular protein. And, and it's not something that's uh, really amenable to raw computing power. This is something that you need a human to do. Uh, and, and it's had a lot of great success in, in, in being able to, to take these large, complex, non-computer non challenges uh, and, and get, you know, a, a whole community of citizen scientists involved. Yeah, and to that point, I actually had a, a similar a, a similar little venture, actually. Uh, I'm going to immediately pull back the word little because this is a massive undertaking. Um, I had the opportunity to meet some folks that are part of iWire, which is um, based at MIT. 
And what it is is it's it's basically kind of a collaborative a, a collaborative gamified approach to mapping the brain uh, and, and the neurons in the brain. So it, it's it's a way to actually do good with this kind of this this methodology. And the stuff that they've accomplished is unbelievable. You know what used to take. I hope there's no like neurologists and, and brain specialists listening, but I believe what used to take them a week to map a neuron now takes about a day or so. Um, and you know their best players, like a 16 year old out of Russia, and it's unbelievable. You know this this kid sitting behind his computer all day having fun, but he's literally doing an amazing thing that's you know uh, propelling you know the knowledge of the human brain. And so, so they were talking about the combination of gamification and crowdsourcing, mm-hmm. right? So we're, 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 we're taking a problem, turning it into a game, sending out to the world to solve yep. and, and getting it back, and, which is fascinating and, and a great idea. Pure gamification of individual habits. Uh, you know, I, I, think, I think, you know, judging from the, the expression of everybody's face, it was sort of a split uh, decision here. I mean, I mean, it's not, it seems like something you take too far. Thing. Actually, I just downloaded Quest and I put in uh, "eat a donut" and I just checked it off and my character leveled up. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, I, I, I think podcast. you're <laughs> finished podcast. Check. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a balancing act. You know, gamification serves a purpose, uh, but just like anything, it can be overdone. Yeah, for for me, I mean, granted, I need some some help a lot of times on the smaller tasks and making sure I get certain things done, but. Adding another layer on top of that doesn't doesn't. It, I'm, I'm almost at the level right now where I'm trying to take away things, not add things to to something. Um, so sometimes it gets too much, right? You're just putting too much on top of it uh, to really uh, to really have it make sense. And so another thing when it comes to the, the crowdsourcing, citizen science projects are blowing up all over the place. I mean, I was uh, working at a tree farm this past year, and there was a guy walking around uh, doing a birding kind of a thing where he i believe it's the university of pennsylvania could be completely wrong but have a really is it orthology or ornithology ornithology right (laughs) yeah i'm gonna fuck it up every time but um but yeah so ornithology and this guy's going around and and capturing like where birds are when they were there and everything like that and that's going into the huge database about from people all over the world so it's something where crowdsourcing especially science type stuff sometimes the people who can solve the the science you know, question are people who aren't in the field, right? Because they're thinking mm-hmm. about it completely different. And so I think that's the cool thing about crowdsourcing. I mean, you have some of these websites like Quirky right now that you can, I mean, you can basically crowdsource a, a stupid little widget, you know? So um, I think crowdsourcing is definitely here to stay. I mean, obviously, we, in previous podcasts, we've talked about, you know, Kickstarters and everything like that. Yeah. So um, crowdfunding, crowdsourcing, I think they're here to stay. I, I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, but I do want the listeners to know that I literally did just download the Quest app. <laughs> and I will, I'm making a pledge right now, right here, right now. I will be using it for the next week. I promise not to cheat the system too much. And I will let you know what I think. We all know what happened with the Apple Watch. I wanted to hate it. I immediately love it. I honestly haven't opened it yet. But I'm scared to see what happens. You, you know what's great is that your name is Mikey, and for anybody who's old enough to remember life commercials, we can figure out oh, yeah, if Mikey, Mikey likes it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> right. It's true. We could actually turn this into a segment. I think if Mikey we should. likes Did it. Did Mikey like it? Um, yep. You know, it's interesting. I I agree with this. Crowdsourcing mm-hmm. is definitely the wave of the future. I mean, we, it's being used in everything. Uh, we saw how NASA was crowdsourcing people's computers for use yeah. of crunching time, right? You don't. You can you can sign up, and if your computer's not in use, NASA will use it to help crunch their big yeah. equations. And, and fantastic. Uh, though, though, on a personal note, you know, regarding gamification to my nephews out there, just get a job. 
Okay. <laughs> what if they want to be entrepreneurs? Oh, well, snap. Boy. well, then invent your own job. But you <laughs> don't need to gamify job. it. Not, it. We, we, don't, we don't need a... Uh, Nailed yeah, it. Yeah. We, do, we don't need a gamification of entrepreneurship app. Yeah, yeah. So, so another thing, too, is uh, for everybody out there, um, another thing about... I don't know if potentially crowdsourcing would be the right word, but this whole idea of uh, online education, uh, you have Khan Academy, you have you know Coursera. And the only reason I bring it up is because I actually took a course on uh, a course on Coursera.org um, about gamification. It's actually really good. It's uh, taught by a guy named Kevin Warbach. And it's uh, out of the uh, Wharton Business School at the University of Pennsylvania. So somebody in Connecticut who I'm not, uh, probably wouldn't be the right right person to go get into Wharton or even be able to get in there. I can take a class now uh, for free through Coursera.com or .org. And I learned about it all the time. So it's like one of those things where I think that's, that's, again, I don't know if it's in that crowdsourcing kind of idea, but it is because the learning's out there, right? You don't need, you don't need permission to go learn this stuff anymore because you can go take it from, I mean, people are paying for this course at Warren and I just took it for free <laughs> and I didn't get any penalized for not doing the homework, but, um, yeah. So, uh, so this week I actually went out and did a interview with Rosie Gallant. She is, um, I believe the new, the new one is director of uh, programs, programs. Yeah, I That's believe. Right. Yeah. They just went through kind of a little shift, but she's the director of programs. And she runs the Lean Launch Accelerator at Reset. Um, so we're going to learn a little bit more about that. I will have to apologize because uh, I was fooling around a little bit with the uh, with the audio level. So my, my voice sounds a little bit higher than Rosie's, but it's still, it's still good. You can still hear. Um, so I do apologize for that. But, uh, I'm holding yeah. back my puberty jokes. Right I, I was just thinking that. <laughs> but by higher, he means louder. <laughs> yeah, not... yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wasn't, my, my voice wasn't cracking. Actually, I think it did actually a couple times in there. But, we, can, um, we can talk yeah. about that. But, uh, but yeah, so enjoy the, um, the interview, and uh, we'll talk to you afterwards. All right, cool. So, Rosie, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, to kind of start off the podcast and everything like that, I want you to introduce yourself to the listeners. Um, who are you and why are you uh, excited about the Connecticut startup ecosystem? I'm Rosie Gallant, the Director of Programs at Reset, the Social Enterprise Trust. Um, and I'm excited about the Connecticut startup ecosystem because there's a lot going on here. Um, here at Reset, I work with startups who are looking to build um, models to launch their business or to grow their business. Um, and here in Connecticut, we see a lot of people with some really exciting ideas, um, especially um, here in the Hartford region. We have a lot of startups that are seeing challenges and framing those challenges as opportunities. I think that's a lot of the entrepreneurs that we work with see challenges in their communities, in um, society, for the environment, um, and they want to develop a business solution for those challenges. And that's why at Reset, we work with social entrepreneurs. All right, cool, cool. So, so full disclosure, we know each other because I was in your past uh, accelerator program. And uh, yeah, <laughs> and so we had uh, our flight night, what, about a month ago now? A month yep. and a half ago? And I have to say is that the um, it definitely is something that helps entrepreneurs, and you know that because you saw my progression through the program and everything, uh, and it's uh, it kind of got my way of thinking about entrepreneurship changed because I was taught to do the business plan right and everything. Now now I'm doing customer discovery, and that's what 
focused on. So, uh, yeah, exactly, getting out of the building. So, uh, all right, cool. Um, so let's see, where are my questions? Let's see, because I know you got all, all the answers written down, right? No, not really. Yeah. I tried not to. <laughs> so if you want to ask me what Reset does, I can give a more specific. Yeah, I mean, answer. well, so yeah, tell me a little bit more about Reset. Um, I know uh, everybody that is going to come on this podcast is going to know what Reset is about, and so that's what we want to kind of um, talk to the people in Connecticut that don't know what Reset is and the other entrepreneurs out there. So what does Reset do? So Reset equips entrepreneurs with tools, resources, and connections to build scalable businesses. So by tools, um, we, we teach um, and guide programming that helps entrepreneurs learn a methodology to get out there and to test their business ideas and to test their business models. Um, by resources, uh, we provide funding. We provide a co-working space, which is low-cost overhead office space for startups. Um, and we have a whole network of mentors, advisors, and coaches, um, as well as service providers and consultants. For um, connections, we connect entrepreneurs to additional funding sources. Um, we connect to potential customers. And I think the most important and what I've seen that startups are looking for the most is that we connect them to a community. Um, I think our philosophy at Reset is that it takes a tribe to, um, or it takes a village to create change and impact and to um, to solve some of the challenges that we face in society. And so the startups and the, the social entrepreneurs that we work with are looking for a community of people that they can be a part of to, to help their ideas launch and grow. Nice, nice. And I would agree. You, you guys are a whole uh, community of uh, people looking to uh, help the ecosystem, right? I mean, and uh, you guys have had a big evolution over the past, uh, what is it? We were talking about, I thought it was like five years, like five or six years, right? And it's been like, what, three? It's been, well, so Reset, um, kind of the vision for this organization was really about seven or eight years ago. Um, and we were, we were born and led out of a team of volunteers that were called um, our action teams. In, in five areas, including education and legislation. Um, and that team of volunteers really kind of spearheaded the organization that we are now, which um, has been providing programming and our co-working space for just a bit over two years. Um, we've launched our accelerator program now in its fifth iteration. Uh, we provide a full suite incubator for startups. Um, here in the co-working space where there's all different kinds of events and opportunities to come and learn and connect and network. Um, and we have um, worked on a number of um, opportunities to influence policy in favor for entrepreneurs and for startups in Connecticut. Um, we've, especially with the, um, the passage of the benefit corporation legislation, um, I think part of a big opportunity and a big focus for Reset is to be a voice for entrepreneurs in Connecticut mm -hmm. and to make Connecticut the state where businesses want to come and launch and grow. Okay. So so what is it um, that, what drew you to startups? So I mean you, obviously this Me is, yeah, what, what, what personally drove you to work with startups um, and to kind of uh, be in this space? Because I mean, you, you could you could have left Connecticut, you know, you could have probably found a, a, a warmer place to be. Um, what, what kept you in Connecticut and, you know, why do you want to work with startups? 
Working with startups is, working with entrepreneurs, I think, in general, is the most exciting, the most exhilarating, and can also be the most exhausting, I think, um, career choice for where I am right now. Um, a lot of the, the entrepreneurs that we work with, you included, are my peers. You know, these are um, they're folks that I, I believe in a lot of the ideas that, um, that people come to pitch at Reset. Um, or come to, to seek support in growing. Um, and I want to help put some momentum behind those ideas. Um, I should say that outside of Reset, I've worked with um, my partner and his business partner to co-found Bentley Brewing Company, okay. which is a production brewing company in Southbridge, Massachusetts of um, artisanal craft beer. Um, and it's been an exhilarating experience to kind of be in a spot of um, be in a position of sort of strategically advising our startup because the craft brew industry is all over the place. It's booming. I think one new brewery opens every day in this country. Okay. Um, so it's an exhilarating market. It's crowded. It's competitive. Um, and it's got a loud consumer base. Um, but that it's sort of this exciting roller coaster mm -hmm. that you're on, um, and when you can be equipped to with the right methodology, the tools, and the resources, um, and the connections to sort of ride that roller coaster, it's it's a pretty exciting experience. So, so what is a production uh, brewery? <laughs> so we produce beer. Um, <laughs> we manufacture beer at a um, a higher quantity, really. I mean. I think there's a lot of a lot of nano breweries popping up in in New England, especially, which are very small um, small amounts of beer, typically under 20 barrels. So what's a barrel? Is that is that like uh, the whiskey barrels or whatever that you? Or, no, or is it that's a 55 a, gallon barrel. I don't know the exact answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like 300 gallons or something. Okay. Um, but we're a 10 barrel production brewery. So, yeah. Okay. Wait. So now you need, actually you're gonna need to cut all of that. <laughs> Let me answer your question again. Um, so it, we're a ten barrel production brewery, which means that we produce beer to go out onto store shelves and retail. Okay. Um, we also have a tap room that opens this weekend. Yes. Actually. That's, that's gonna be going on tomorrow. Yes. Very exciting. And that's right in Southbridge, Mass. Um, and then we have rotating keg accounts. So in the local area around Sturbridge and Worcester County, um, we're actually on tap at a number of different restaurants. Okay. So you can come to the brewery and fill your growlers and hang out and do a tasting, or you can find us on store shelves. Okay. So now here's the age-old question, because we're talking about startups in Connecticut. Why did you go to Mass? Why? Why? Uh, I mean, I know you live kind of close to the Mass border, so but like, why? Why go to Mass? Yeah. Well, I think that. Um, it's kind of a more of a, a place in time thing. Um, Mike and Adam, who are the owners of Bentley Brewing and, and our partners, are they originally started um, a company in Connecticut called Lost Elm Brewing Company um, in Stafford Springs. But the opportunity came up to buy um, a production brewery in Massachusetts, which would just be greater scale um, yeah. and sort of allow the the business to, to get a foothold a bit quicker. Um, so I think that, you know, in, in terms of, 
of where Bentley is. It's more of a thing of place and time. But Connecticut has tremendous opportunity for startups. Um, this is a state that has so much talent coming out of universities, um, so much talent in the residents that are moving in to the urban areas in Connecticut. This is a state that has a lot of investment in different pockets of the state. Um, and it's a state that has some big opportunity, I think, specifically for social entrepreneurs. So when I think of Connecticut, I think of all of the wonderful things and the great opportunity, but I also think about um, the fact that in our state, we have some of the greatest disparities in income, in wealth, in education, um, in health, in access to health, access to food. Um, and if you think about that, where there is great challenge, there's great opportunity for innovation. And I think that's why we see Connecticut as the, the perfect state to be the social enterprise state. Um, and we see Hartford as the city that can be the impact city. And that's our vision. Nice, nice. So, okay, so you kind of, uh, you've seen it from both sides of the spectrum. So you're, you're an entrepreneur outside of Reset, right? You, you know, you're, you're involved with that. Um, obviously, not maybe not the day-to-day -day person, but you're still involved. And then you're also on the service provider side, right? Because there, there's the, the balance between the service providers and entrepreneurs and kind of the resources that are around uh, for entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So um, can you give us a, an idea of the, um, well, I think they're like off the chart. I don't know if I'm yelling or something. No. But uh, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, but no, it's like the challenges be between you as a service provider, as Reset, and working in that space versus the entrepreneur, um, and what, what was your biggest challenge in either you know either one? Yeah, that's a great question. My, I would say the biggest challenge for me personally is I want every good idea to have its day. Um, I think that a lot of really great startup ideas and business concepts die too early because, not necessarily because they didn't get traction, but because in a lot of cases, the founders gave up um, or they didn't get the support that they needed to really get out there and test it and, and get on the right path towards product market fit. It's typically in seeking product market fit that a startup, um, an idea can die on the vine pretty quickly. And I think the challenge for me as a service provider and someone who works as a coach to entrepreneurs and leads programs to um, help businesses and startups develop those ideas and test them is that I want them all to work out. And <laughs> okay. it's, not, it's not realistic um, because sometimes it's, you know, it's the drive of the entrepreneur. Um, sometimes it's the amount of work that that needs to be put into um, building a business in a, in a startup, and that's okay. You know, it's okay that um, a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs need the time to figure out that maybe maybe the path isn't the right one for them to be an entrepreneur. Um, but as an entrepreneur, I know how how tough that is. You know, I know that it's it's a it's a tough road, that it's um, a lot of work and that there's a lot of risk and there's a lot at stake and you're very personally connected to that risk and that that challenge. 
Um, so I think for me, that's kind of one of the one of the, the difficult challenges of being a coach. Um, but then on the outside, also helping to build our own startup. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's definitely that time where uh, as an entrepreneur, you say, shit, did I, am I doing the right thing? Uh, everybody, oh, yeah. I, everybody I talk to gives me that you're a crazy look. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, it happens. I mean, yeah, I think there comes a time when you realize that, you know, it's, it's pretty often that I hear, I want to be an entrepreneur because I want to be my own boss and I want to make my own schedule and I want to, um, you know, control my own career path. I think that's awesome and that's great motivation, but what you need to realize is that all of your customers are now your boss, right? Um, and you have actually far more accountability to far more people, um, you know, than you than you did just being on your own. So. It's a different different kind of accountability. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to say that from uh, kind of like a, a manage. I guess the hardest part of, for me as not sure is that I'm all over the place, as many people know. Um, but at the same time, uh, kind of like the little in-between tasks, I let slide and I'm trying to go for like the bigger jump. So, I mean, if I, if I could pay somebody, I'd definitely probably pay somebody to like check in with me four times a day to make sure I was on schedule and <laughs> getting things done because <laughs> it would actually help me a lot. But I don't have that. I don't have that money yet to, to pay people. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think also being a service provider, um, in this ecosystem, um, it's, it's a really exciting position because I meet so many visionaries every day. Um, and visionaries are the most exciting people. You know, people who have a vision um, for change, um, people who have just this, this contagious drive to make something happen. Um, it's a really, really exciting place to be in yeah and I would say that's almost one of the uh the best things about reset in my mind is the fact that oh, oh see yeah look at that um now I'm off the fucking charts um but the best thing is almost the fact that when you know we have beer 30 we have the different kind of events here you're around people who understand it so you don't have to it's almost like you don't you don't get that crazy look anymore you get that excited look when you say something <laughs> and it's you're like I, yeah you do get it you understand it um, well, this is your tribe <laughs> yeah well exactly this that, is the entrepreneurial startup tribe exactly um and i think that's actually one of the one of the interesting things and uh, we, we've all been sharing it right with the people in this tribe is that the tribe is getting bigger um it's getting more connected by the day um, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, myself, Dave and, and Mike and James wanted to do something like this was the fact that we want to start really talking to the entrepreneurs and the people in, in the community, um, because the service providers are crucial, right? I mean, it's, I mean, as an entrepreneur, I'm actually looking for more service providers. It's like one of those things where I'm, I'd rather talk to more service providers because then I can outsource some of the mm -hmm. things that I would need at the lower levels. Of building a company, um, but it's also connecting the, the entrepreneurs because a lot of entrepreneurs may not know about the lean launch. I mean, it's getting out there; it's definitely being pushed, but there's definitely some hole in the wall entrepreneurs that may not know, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, here's, I guess, the the you know we've talked about why Connecticut is a good state, you know, or a little bit about what it is. Um, why is Connecticut a bad state to do entrepreneurship in? Well, I think any state, any ecosystem is going to have its, its kind of barriers for sure. And um, there's a couple that we've definitely identified in Connecticut. Um, one is just from a pure startup perspective, there's a lot of um, 
different regulations in the state town by town. So for certain industries, that's tough to navigate, you know, especially when it comes to like the food sector. Um, you know, regulations and codes and whatnot are different from town to town. Um, so we hear a lot of challenges in regards to state regulations and things like that for businesses. Um, we hear a lot of challenges from entrepreneurs in regards to finding affordable space to launch or to house their business, right? Um, so I think finding space to... Make that a little bit better. I would say. No, no, it's really quiet, I feel like. Oh, I can hear myself really loud, though, in my mind. Can you? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I you can't hear Should I start that? No, no, you're good. No, no, keep you going. Can, you can edit I don't really care. I don't, we can edit it, but at the same time, who cares? I mean, <laughs> like, like in my, in, in like, because it's kind of funny, right? We're talking about this. We're talking about entrepreneurship. We're talking about, like, doing stuff. I mean, this is what we're doing. We're, we're talking about oh, it. Oh, jeez. I mean, well, we can, no, you got to make it all we can, sound we can, good. We can edit it someday. I mean, it still sounds good. I mean, yes, we, we will want to edit it, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, there's challenges in regards to navigating the, the regulatory environment of Connecticut. Um, we hear challenges in regards to navigating where's the best place to, um, to launch my business. You know, where can I afford the space? Um, where is there incentive for me to launch their business? Um, sometimes I think a lot of that information is difficult to navigate. Um, I think in Connecticut, one thing from my perspective is I feel like sometimes we're the state that is really a pass-through from Boston to New York. So I think when I think of the investment landscape, a lot of investors, though they may live in Connecticut, they're investing in Boston and New York. and. I, you know, there is no shortage, I think, of investment in this state. I think it's just a matter of how do you find it, yeah. how do you connect to it. Um, and, you know, I think that there's, in general, there's been a lot of fragmented resources in the state of Connecticut for a startup. Um, but I think that that's what this ecosystem is really working on. Not just a reset, but Metro Hartford Alliance, CT Next. Um, a lot of members of this ecosystem are working to figure out what's the easiest pathway for a startup to come to Connecticut, find resources, find support, and be able to hit the ground running. So even with the, the hardships or the, um, the, the barriers, you're obviously pretty optimistic about Connecticut. I think that this this year and the next few years in this state are a, a, a tipping point. I think that we are sort of seeing and we're going to see a really robust and vibrant startup ecosystem in this state. I think for a lot of reasons. I think that um, there's a lot of really strong partners in this ecosystem that are working to be strong service providers um, and that understand that it's the entrepreneurs and the startups that need to sort of um, control the ship when it comes to building a startup ecosystem. It's people like you. You know, it's people like you and all of the teams that are in the launch pad or all of the teams that are in other accelerators throughout the state that are hanging out at the different co-working spaces throughout the state that are sort of leading the, the way in building this ecosystem. Um, and I think that we're seeing more vibrancy. I don't know if it's just word of mouth from one entrepreneur to another that 
um, gets people to come out to events and um, connect and to, to network. But um, I think it's definitely the right time for um, a lot of activity in yeah. this space. I, I would say it's uh, it's actually kind of interesting because maybe over the past like six months, maybe it's just because I, I went like full on entrepreneur in September and you know said I'm going to quit the quit the comfort of a, of a daytime job and everything. Um, and it's more like a feeling, right? Like you, you get around these people and it's even more exciting when you leave or, you know, you're even more pumped up. I mean, there's been so many times when I've seen people talk to each other, have an idea, and then a couple weeks later, they're still working on that idea or they're still mm -hmm. moving forward. I mean, I know I've done it as well. So um, I think for, as an entrepreneur, it is a very exciting time in Connecticut just because I've seen a lot of people move out of the state. <laughs> a lot of people uh, our age kind of saying, hey, listen, um, there's no opportunity here. I'm mm -hmm. leaving. Um, granted, the, the winter this year was pretty harsh, so I... <laughs> I know, yeah, I know, yeah, exactly, right. A lot of them are going to the warmer weather, um, but yes, I think, uh, I think, just like, uh, like you said, I think a lot of people are very excited about Connecticut, and especially the next couple of years. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know, I don't know if I could pinpoint kind of like the drivers for millennials specifically, like you know, moving to Connecticut and um, seizing opportunity here. I can, I can only. Think for you know myself and, and my group of, of friends, family, and why we're here in Connecticut, and there is just a lot of opportunity here. I mean, there's a lot of really exciting growth in certain sectors in Connecticut. Um, you know, the bioscience space and the life science space has got a lot going on. Um, the food sector space in Connecticut. Um, you know, we're one of the only states in the country that is increasing in the number of farms, um, which is, you know, I think an incredible opportunity. I mean, we have some of the most incredible soil and landscape here in this in this state, but we also have a lot of innovation. I mean, we've had aquaponics companies in yeah. our, you know, our launchpad for Impact Accelerator um, and vertical farming opportunities. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity for innovation in Connecticut, and that's sort of a, a synergistic um, shift between people with great ideas, opportunity for innovation, the right support, um, and just the right time and the right place. Yep. No, you're, de you're definitely right. Um, let's see, what else we got? All right, so now we're going to do uh, a Ask couple kind of... Ask about the accelerator. <laughs> we already talked about the accelerator. Did we? Well, you kind of did. Okay, so expound upon what, what the Lean Launch Accelerator is all about. So it's a launch pad for impact <laughs> okay. is the name of the accelerator program. Um, but I wanted, I wanted you to ask me about it because I think it's, it's kind of an indicator of um, a sort of shift or the tipping point in the types of businesses that are in Connecticut. Um, but the launch pad for impact is a four-month accelerator program where we guide entrepreneurial teams in developing a business model that can um, be ready for scale. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's a peer-to-peer -peer led program where we um, have a cohort of entrepreneurs and we bring in experts and mentors and coaches to guide on different components of the business model. Um, but what's exciting is in that one program, um, we can have you know, an aquaponics company, a travel agency, a, um, a, a number of tech companies, 
um, a company with new food products, all in the same cohort in an accelerator program. And I think that that diversity of the type of industries that entrepreneurs are coming out of and the diversity of ideas is a really good indicator of the vibrancy of this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So the what would you say the um, biggest thing you're trying to instill in uh, like the cohorts when they come through the, the, um, the program and at the end of the you know, semester, you know, I'm going to say the semester, mm-hmm. end of the end of the program, what is it that you want them to be walking away from? You know, because obviously every business is a little bit different. I mean, travel agency versus a food company, right. that's going to be completely different about like kind of their outcomes or what they're looking to um, make as their MVP or whatever, right? But what is it from a business perspective that you want them to be walking away from um, and kind of u- utilizing as they go forward in their business journey? Yeah. One of the things that, so I, I have an MBA. I come yep. from a, a, I wouldn't say it's a traditional MBA program, but um, it was an MBA in social enterprise and triple bottom line business. Um, and though it was a rather untraditional program with Antioch University, New England, um, you still learn the business planning process, mm-hmm. right? Um, and sort of the what you need to do to have a successful business. Um, So it's kind of hard to break out of that mentality of this is what you have to do, the steps you have to take to have a successful business, right? But in the Launchpad program, and I would say in all of the programs that we have at Reset, we're not teaching entrepreneurs anything. What we're doing is guiding on a methodology of getting out of the building, testing the assumptions that you have about your business, about your business model, about your customer segments, about the value that you provide them, um, and test test those assumptions. Figure out if you have something that customers really want, because no business plan survives first contact with customers. I think Steve Blank said that. That's not my quote. Steve Blank said that, but it's true. Um, It's true, and I think we are taught in a lot of ways in school, to sort of put so much time and focus into planning and research um, and putting it all together in a really nice pretty package and then presenting it and hoping that we get supporters or that we get investment or that we get stakeholders. Um, but that's really not how it works. Yeah. You know, you have to just take what you think you have and you have to go out there and you have to try it out. Um, and then you have to find out if you've got something that people want. And if you do, then you have to take the next step to figure out how they want it um, better and how they can get more of it. So that's really what we hope at the end of the accelerator, that um, startup teams come out with a solid strategy and a solid plan, knowing um, you know, what value their product or service is providing to who and how. Now, do you focus do you push your your cohorts to seek out money and and to try to go for that angel or that VC money? I think in a lot of ways it's it depends because different types of businesses need very different types of investments. So the purpose of an accelerator program at least from our perspective is to help prepare you for knowing what resources you need mm-hmm. to make that business a success a success. And so In some cases, that will be a business that's planning towards um, 
a, a quicker exit and needs a certain kind of investment. In other cases, that's a business that can bootstrap for a certain amount of time and maybe will be ready at some point to take in, um, you know, to get a credit line or to take in loans. Um, but it's setting, it's, it's helping the startup team understand what kind of needs will they have, what are the cost, costs of um, doing business, mm -hmm. and when do you need to think about investment? Yeah. When is it time to think about investing in the next step? Yeah. And the reason why I asked that question is because um, you start talking to uh, you know startup companies and everything like that, and they're always talking about raising money or the, the Series A that they had. I mean, granted, I was on a phone call yesterday, right, for a um, company out of New York. I won't name the company or whatever, but it was um, it does like basically they can do your HR for you, right? They can do your mm -hmm. HR. And the the guy that we were talking to on the phone, I mean, he he probably spent about five minutes talking about his Series A and how to raise more money and and all this kind of stuff. And and at the same time, like as a customer, I was like, I don't give a shit. Like, tell me about like what how much it costs for me to get your service. I understand your service. You, you have a good website. I can get it from there, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but he just and, and granted it. I could, tell it was a salesman it was the entrepreneur you know right because the entrepreneur of that company would never or the starter founder that wouldn't have talked about how much money they raised would have talked about the value they're creating right mm -hmm. so i think that and um you know we've discussed it as part of the podcast is that one of the things that some entrepreneurs get stuck on is like they have to raise money right like i mean let's put the pitch deck together we have to raise x amount of dollars because x y and z has to happen um, and I, I mean, that was one of the biggest things that I kind of came out of the, the um, program from. I mean, granted, the customer discovery got me from where I thought I was to something completely different. But at the same time, I'm more or less thinking of how much does this, does this experiment cost? You know, like I want to, like, I mean, does it cost $1,000, $2,000, $500? experiment cost to find out the next piece of information I need to see where the company goes. I mean, at, at every point you need to bring on money or get a loan or, I mean, unless you're, unless you're selling product right off the rip where you make money, which that's obviously the best thing you can do. <laughs> exactly. The best thing you can do. Yeah. I um, think there's two ways of, of kind of looking at that actually. First, building a startup is not a linear process by any means. Yeah. It's, you know, it's all over the place. It's up and down. And, um, the best, hope that we can have in terms of providing support and programs like incubators and accelerators is that an entrepreneur feels equipped with the knowledge, the know-how, um, the resources and the connections that they need to go out and, um, you know, build their business piece by piece and take each challenge and each opportunity as it comes because there will be failures and there will be successes. Um, the other way that I tend to look at um, at least sometimes with investments specifically and the expectations that um, startups or entrepreneurs sometimes have for their business is simple. More money, more problems. That is the classic such, line. The uh, classic, classic line. but it's such a true <laughs> statement. Um, if you throw money at an idea before it's fully tested um, or at a team before that team is fully proven their capability and their skills, then you just set up that startup for a lot of trouble. Yep. Um, and that's, you know, that's something that I think a lot of first-time entrepreneurs don't know. You don't know what you don't know, right, yep. until you've had the experience. With Bentley Brewing, you know, we have bootstrapped this business for two years 
We're, we're well into the market now. We are on store shelves all over Massachusetts. We have really strong rotating keg accounts. Um, and we have a new tap room where people come consistently week after week, the same customers to buy our product. Um, but that took a lot of figuring out how we could be scrappy with building this business, you know, how we could really leverage and maximize the most out of our skill set and our knowledge and know-how to, um, to be able to take the next step. And when we hit a wall, when we hit a barrier, you seek support as much as you can from the other members of your community, um, or you, you get really innovative in how you get around that barrier. Yep. Um, but the time for us to take on you know investment or that next step will be when it's a tipping point to really take a next big step. Yep. I think investment is essential when a business is ready at that tipping point to go the next step, to scale, to grow. It's, it's almost like you can... The investment should should take you off the linear path and onto the exponential. Like it should it should be like that point at the the at the you know the hockey stick, right? Where you start going a different direction than just staying on that linear path that you are. Because yeah, I think one thing that I always try to be very aware of, um, and that we we talk a lot about in the Launchpad program, is how to know who your early adopters are. And then how to know who your your customers are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of even if you've got a crazy product or service, something that's totally wildly out there, you're gonna get early adopters that that will will purchase it um, and will give you their support. Um, but knowing how you can be the one in control of that sort of demand switch and be able to turn that switch on and off um, is is an essential understanding. And that comes from, from really deeply knowing who your customer segments are and the value that you're providing them. All right, cool, cool. So, uh, all right, well, uh, we've already been chatting for a while, like we always do every time we you know, <laughs> get together. Um, all right, so a couple of rapid-fire questions for you. Cool. All right. Um, do you have any blogs that you consistently go to or read? I do. How to Change the World by Guy Kawasaki. Yes, Guy Kawasaki, yeah. That's one of my favorites. Okay. It's a whole wealth of information of everything from pitching to um, leadership. Yeah, his pitch deck is good, right? It's the, uh, what is it, 10, 20, 30? Yeah, yep. What is it? So 10 slides. No, what is it? 10 point font or no? No, 30 point font, 10 slides. 20 minutes? 20 minutes. Eh, 20 minutes seems kind of long. Or is it no 20 idea. slides, 10 minutes? Something I have like no that. idea. Yeah. But there should ever be. <laughs> let's let's say yeah. thirty point font. Actually, no font it should be all yeah. pictures, five slides, and just know your business well enough that you can pitch without any slides yeah. at all. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. Okay, cool. Um, what would you say the best activity to do in Connecticut is? What, oh. what, would, what would you if you had to, if you, if somebody from out of the state was coming to you and said, hey, listen, what should I do this weekend? And granted, it was like on or you know it was like mm-hmm. that time of season. Go birding. We have a lot of awesome spots to go birding, but also go to the Connecticut. You say follow. birding or birding? birding? Okay, birding. birding. Okay. <laughs> I was like birding. Birding what? Birds. Um, and so, go. No wait. No, no, so, the best is the Connecticut Craft Beer Trail. Okay. So do they have like a booklet like they do for like the wine trail? Yeah, there's a map somewhere, and I think there's eventually going to be signs on the side of the highway. Um, but there's a website. 
Connecticut Craft Beer Trail. Um, there's a lot of really great breweries in this state. Uh, that will be an activity that I will do. Cool. Awesome. And actually birding, uh, I was kind of interested in about birding. This goes into entrepreneurship and everything is that uh, I was uh, at a um, the tree farm, like, a, you know, that, that I was talking about the other day, right? Working there and a guy comes during the day, he's, he's there and he's walking around and he's birding, right? And he has this app where he can, you know, when he sees a certain bird or a flock or whatever, he puts it into the app. And it's actually a citizen uh, citizen science project by UPenn or something like that, oh, cool. where they have a big orn ornology, right? Isn't it it's like ornology, ornithology, or whatever? Yeah. Um, and so they they're a big program. They wanted to get more, you know, information about birds. So they created an app for birding people that go birding to actually do it. So now people that are walking around are inputting the data, and then all that gets aggregated back. And so it's like a big project where. You know, millions of data points are being put in every week. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, citizen science. Um, <laughs> let's see. Hmm. And then I'll, I'll go with, what is your favorite movie? The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride. That <laughs> it's, I mean, that's a timeless classic movie. It's actually, that's actually my, uh, my brother-in-law's favorite movie. I'm pretty sure it's the best movie of all time. It's perfect. All right, cool. Well, and so, um, so again, I, I do thank you for doing this and spending the time, uh, you know, to talk to, to me today. And so, where can people go to learn more about you, about Bentley Brewing, about Reset, Lean Launch? Um, tell us where uh, people should go. Cool. So you can find me always here at Reset, um, at Reset's co-working space. Um, and actually at our new I was going to say, you should, you should drop some so bombs. We probably won't give you this address, but we'll be on Park Street um, in Parkville in Hartford. Um, so you can come and visit us there. You can also find me always via email, rgallant at socialenterprisetrust.org. Um, and you can find me on the weekends on Saturday at Bentley Brewing Company's Tap Room in Southbridge, Massachusetts. All right, very good. And I will be seeing you tomorrow for your opening. When's your opening tomorrow? It's tomorrow from 1 to 5. All right. Eight, eight new beers on tap. Um, buy a tasting glass, and you get to try them all. All right, very good. All right, thank you very much, and, uh, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you, actually, for um, for putting this podcast together and for interviewing the different, you know, the different folks within this ecosystem and thanks for finding new channels to get the word out about what's going on thank you <laughs> all right all right so welcome back from the interview um it was a good time you know interviewing rosie uh so what do you guys think about it Actually, I thought it was really fascinating. It, it, it was a very interesting interview, probably for, for most of us, in the sense that we all know Rosie mm -hmm. to some extent. And it's a, um, it's a really exciting time at Reset. They just moved into a new space, uh, this sort of industrial space in the Parkville area of Hartford. They're expanding, their, they're expanding what they're offering. They're expanding their accelerator. The accelerator is getting people from outside the state now, in new, you know, from down from New York. They're developing a, a really fantastic reputation for the quality of the uh, of the offerings that they provide to entrepreneurs, and it's becoming a real community space. So, I mean, seeing all these things happen, and Rosie's right at the center of it, and she's now the program director there, 
uh, and she's really helping guide people, and she's an entrepreneur herself. It's uh, the combination of things is pretty amazing. What, what I'm curious about, Eric, is that you uh, actually went through the accelerator program last year, and you were there, and Rosie was one of the uh, mentors or or people who runs the program. How how was that? How was it? What was it like working with her? Well, I think she actually hit it on like the nail on the head, head on the nail, whatever whatever you want to say. Um, that she's she was our peer. It wasn't necessarily kind of you know going into okay, an accelerator is some sort of a learning experience, right? And so most of us are taught a learning experience. You're being taught by somebody who's you know knows it and has been studying it, right? Well, Rosie is just doing it. I mean, she's in the process of going through that lean launch with Reset's Accelerator Program with Bentley Brewing. So it's one of those things where it's it was always nice to sit down with her because we had to meet with her you know once a week or, or whatever, and she would actually she would say you know well this is how we we've been doing it or this is how um, I would go about it. So it wasn't necessarily she was she was just asking questions. The questions that she was asking helped helped you kind of think about your business in a different way. So, I, and I think that's the biggest thing, especially when it comes to starting your own venture is that one, sometimes you don't ask the right questions or, you, you know, kind of a thing. So um, it's always good to have somebody, um, you know, just, just really pressing the, or asking the questions that you know, you don't want to ask yourself almost. Yeah, and I think also, you know, you've been staring at, you know, whatever, when an entrepreneur has been staring at a company for so long, looking at it so closely, you need an outside perspective. You need those fresh eyes. And it's really important uh, to get that outside perspective. And it does kind of make you look at it in, in, in a fresh way. Actually, the uh, one of the things that <clears throat> I find all the time, but, but lately I, I've been noticing a little more because I've been doing a lot of work at UConn and talking to entrepreneurs coming out of there. And they're very young. And so the, the idea there is, is the issue that's happening is that entrepreneurs have an idea in their head and they're very focused on that idea and what they want to do in their head is really they're trying to bring the market to them as opposed to bringing their idea to where the market is and it's of course the wrong way to go about it and you have to have someone that is maybe gently maybe not so gently challenging your assumptions and forcing you to reassess what your idea is and what you think it should be doing because a lot of these ideas are great kernels but they're not fully formed and, and, you know, so one of the things I think that the accelerators and incubators in the area do that they do well are providing experienced people who can challenge these ideas in a way that is non-threatening to the entrepreneur, such that they are able to revise their company plan and bring it forward. And, I, you know, I think that's one of the things that, uh, that Rosie does well. Um, I, I, I'm... The whole purpose of this podcast, when we talk about from the beginning, we, you know, our, our catchphrase was connecting Connecticut. And I think the uh, thing that we're, that, that Rosie and Reset Accelerate, uh, accelerate uh, that they you know, encapsulate is this sense of community, bringing people together, serving as a space where people just want to be it, because it's innovative, it, it makes you work and talk with other people that provide you with new ideas. It feels like a place that that engages your mind, um, and I really appreciate that atmosphere. Yeah, she said it herself. It comes down to the entrepreneurs who are going to be, you know, the ones who are building this ecosystem. So, you know, I think what they're doing is totally fostering that mentality. And I think it comes out a bit in the terminology she used. She referred to entrepreneurs as kind of a tribe a couple yeah. of times, mm -hmm. which oh, I yeah. thought was pretty telling. Uh, but, you know, what did you guys think about what she had said about some of the – 
positive aspects of Hartford and, and Connecticut in general. You know, you got a lot of talent uh, coming out of the universities, a lot of young urban professionals coming into the cities. I mean, Hartford, I know, is adding uh, a bunch of new housing units. You know, 777 Main Street is a, a new, the old Bank of America Tower, so it'll be a new high-rise apartment building. So there's there's a lot of demand for, for living uh, in urban areas. Uh, you see it in New Haven. You know, the new census data came out today and showed that, you know, 25% of the state's growth in the past four years uh, wasn't Stanford alone. Um, so I think, Jeez. yeah, so I think, you know, it's a, a trend that Reset is, is well positioned to, to take advantage of, to, to find kind of a, a central rallying point for new people that are coming into the state, into the state cities, uh, and being able to connect them so they can best use their talents. Well, they also have that uh, focus on social benefit companies, right? So they have a they sort of a unique niche. They serve as a general point for entrepreneurs to gather out of all types. But they certainly have a focus on helping social benefit companies. Uh, and not necessarily B Corps, but companies that are that are going to act like B Corps, so they may not be formed as such. And so, you know, we have we're having an increased amount of great focus points in the states. I look at Access 901 in Manchester, um, there's the Beehive in Bridgeport, the Grove in New Haven. I know that there's a place or two in Stanford, which uh, skipped my mind at the moment, so I sincerely apologize Stanford to that. Stanford Innovation Center? Well, there is a Stanford Innovation Center. That, that's right. There's, there's another, uh, there's another, one down there. There, there, there's another like, co-working space mm -hmm. getting point that I was thinking of. But either way, uh, you, know, it's, you have all these points that are forming, and, and people are making a go of you know, maintaining these types of spaces and encouraging events and providing content. Uh, and so even in that area, Reset sort of stands out with their, with their unique niche. And you can tell it's something that the people who work there, Rosie through her interview and, and the others through just my interactions with them, that they really believe in. And you can see that Reset is a, is a very kind of welcoming and broad community. I know in, in some of the recent events that we've attended, there have been, first of all, a lot more attendees uh, and also a, a broader uh, A broader array of people who are being attracted. I, I think you know you had at, at one of their kind of mentor meetups that they had. You know there were serial entrepreneurs there, but there were also uh, you know people fresh out of school who really just only had an idea and no experience whatsoever. Um, so you know it, it is it is a, a place where you can kind of get started, uh, or you could also continue and 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 you know build on your previous experience. Yeah, that's no, that's definitely. Uh that's definitely true, and and just by being around Reset, I mean now that they moved to fourteen twenty nine Park, since they moved there, I mean there's even more traffic coming through, and their new accelerator, there's still uh, a lot of good uh, energy in that accelerator, and it's actually cool because uh, Rosie is definitely con again continually uh, innovating on the new accelerator program. You know, every time she's she's taking the good and you know um, putting the the bad in the trash really. But uh, I will have to say is that um, I did go to Rosie's, uh, the tap room opening, right? So, the, you know, I, I recorded the interview and the next day she was having the opening. And it is, it's always interesting to see somebody that you work with or, you know, have done work with in another setting, right? So I knew Rosie, you know, I, I drank the beer before. I'd gone up to Sturbridge and actually got it into in a couple of the uh, package doors. But actually going there and, and seeing what she, you know, her and her business partners created was actually really cool. Um, the beer was good. Uh, they ran out of a, a couple. I was, uh, you know, yeah, I definitely, definitely took a, a couple of growlers home. The space is pretty small. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a little <coughs> boutique kind of a tap room. 
And so we go in the back, and it's um, so you know her her boyfriend or business partner built like the the whole thing, and there's this big uh, kind of like funnel in the floor, like this huge funnel. And she's like, yeah, that's where we I think it was the hops or the barley or whatever that they pour into the the tanks below. So originally mm. they they you know the way she was telling me is that they were you know took them a long time to like you know carry the bags up, put it in there, and they're like, you know what? What if we just put a funnel through the, the, the floor upstairs? So then they did that. They got that space. And then once they had that, then they're like, because it made it easier on their lives, they're like, might as well make it a tap room. Mm-hmm. So it's like one of those things where sometimes you 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 don't didn't expect to open up a tap room or didn't expect to go in that route, but then something else pops up and boom, it, it, it happens. So it, it was just it was just kind of interesting to kind of, again, see people outside of the normal um, kind of place you, you, you see them. When are we taking a field trip up to Bentley? Whatever. Yeah, I think it'll have to be soon. Uh, we'll report back on that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, get your permission. We, we got. We got to go. We got to go find some other uh, Connecticut-based breweries. You know, because because even though even though she's you know Connecticut and pushing Connecticut, we still got to razz her a little bit. I mean, technically Dave lives in Massachusetts. Woof. You know. You're not wanted Whoa. here, Dave. Dave, you're not Whoa. wanted here. I don't go think back. you're gonna drop that on the podcast. <laughs> this I'm, is I'm, I'm super. I'm calling awkward. you out this, now. This so, is how it's gonna be. I live right over the border, folks. Okay. Well, I'm just saying, so we don't run into any controversies later on where they're like they're talking about Connecticut startups, and one of them doesn't even live here. Yeah, Dave, why don't you be transparent with our yeah, listeners? Yeah, jeez. Oh, boy. <laughs> I give everything to you people. <laughs> we want more. <laughs> but, so, uh, what was your favorite beer? Oh, it was a. Um, I want to say it was a saison. Mm-hmm. It was a, a, a session or saison. I don't know how to. to saison. Is it a saison? Um, but uh, I believe it was. I'm trying to like think because there's eight beers. So I'm like I'm like in my head going back and like which one it was. I think it was the third or fourth beer that I had. Because um, because they actually did it where you you know you got a little glass and you tried it in ru- in you know in order like a um, little like a flight basically yeah a beer basically flight. basically a beer flight and then you know you go through those and then two growlers later you're still there and you know kind of thing but <laughs> <laughs> so, so Mike right after the uh, right after we, you know we had listened to the interview uh, you know one of the things that you had said that thing you most identified with was that you had the same favorite movie without a Rosie. doubt. <laughs> Princess Bride. It's unbelievable <laughs> flick. It is a fantastic film. I, uh, I, I went to summer camp as a kid, and I got sick, and I got stuck in the infirmary for about three days, and they had a VHS player and uh, only one VHS tape, and it was Princess Bride. I watched that thing way too many times. I right now I only own one DVD. Well, it's about a boy Princess that's Bride. sick in bed being read a story. So exactly. It's, I mean, it makes yeah, perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, except exactly. I didn't have a nice grandpa at the time. I had a grouchy nurse who yeah. just gave me rice for three days straight. What? Whoa. Rice, rice. They only give me rice. Uh. Yeah, that's what happens at those really good uh, camps, you know, yeah, really good summer camps. <laughs> that, that was obviously a major investment by your parents. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to actually, should we dial them in right now? Should we get my mom on the line, speakerphone it? I think, I, um, I think that not only do we want to talk to her, but that everybody that's listening would really like to hear us talk to tweet her. Tweet us your questions. <laughs> we'll get Janet on the line. Um, but no, incredible movie. When when she said that, I was totally like two thumbs up. Um, one of the things I was curious about is, how many companies or uh, entrepreneurs, for that matter, actually go through reset uh, the, the the program? Uh, let's say within a, a given year or so. Uh, so they're running it three times a year, right? I think it's three times a year now, or they're on schedule to do it three times. Uh, so I was in the September one, 
I want to say we had like nine, nine or ten. Because um, because what happened was that there was two companies in there, like two separate people. Then they actually got you know they they mm-hmm. became a team. Um, I mean, I technically became you know went on the team of one of the other companies as well. So uh, yeah, I think it was nine. Nine or ten. I yeah. find that really interesting that, you know, these people go in potentially with their own ideas and at the end of it, you know, have actually joined forces and are pursuing, you know, well, one it, one venture. Isn't now. that the greatest thing, though? <laughs> I mean, here are people whose preconceptions aren't obviously can be challenged and and they've either explored their idea and said that, OK, this is not this either idea isn't going to work or it's not going to work as well as I would need it to. And yet they have talents that they can provide to someone else. And, and it's not uncommon. I, there was a, I remember reading a story about someone from Y Combinator who had gone in and spent a lot of time. And they, by, the, by the end, they felt that they really would provide more benefit to someone else mm-hmm. than to continue with the idea they originally went in. Uh, it, it's accelerators and incubators and everything for those programs are such great learning experiences. And they provide more than just assisting your company along. A good one provides you with education and experience and the opportunity to meet people that are going to carry with you through the rest of your lives. Uh, I, I had recently finished uh, Zero to One by Peter Thiel, uh, the book. co-founder of, uh, yeah, of PayPal. And, and, and what he talks about in sort of PayPal was, was the, you know, the culture and everything that they built up there and how they found they were trying to find like-minded people, that, that interviewing people and getting to know them, making sure they're the right fit for their company was super important in establishing the culture. And because of that, everybody who worked there uh, and it was in that founding group went on to other, found other amazing companies and do other amazing things, sometimes alone, sometimes with each other. But, you know, it, it was all about, you know, finding like-minded people who you can work with and go on to take that experience and build it elsewhere. Uh, and that's that's what the good programs like this do. Yeah. And I will have to say one of the things, and while some people went on to other people's teams, some teams split up. Um, and I think that one of the – one thing that the program actually does do, and I, I think this is a good thing, is that for some some people they actually find out that they're not they don't want to be that entrepreneur <laughs> they, they they actually don't want to quit their full-time job mm-hmm. to go to, to to you know make that happen so I think there there's two sides of it right there's um, you know you have the 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 ahas and the the cool moments where teams come together or the teams that feed off each other and their, their products are better and then there's times where teams fight and it happens they split up and they go in separate ways uh, so you know, it, it Entrepreneurial happens. divorce. Yeah. Well, no, that's right. There's those who do and those who can't podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no. That's why I'm here. Yeah, see, <laughs> that that see, is why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Mike. I'm sure your company will be successful. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, so I think, uh, I think it, it, there's going to be a lot coming out of Reset hopefully soon. I know they are expanding their team. Uh, the past week I've, I've been there. I've, I've keep on meeting new team members every single time. So uh, it, it's going to be fun to see see what comes out of there uh, soon, and uh, I think you're going to be hearing a lot more. Sounds great. Uh, I, before we uh, just want to something else, uh, we will update everybody on what's happening at Reset and 
what how Rosie's doing, and for all these interviews, we hope to go back to some of these companies. Yeah, and uh, I know Flight Night's coming up. Do you know what what when's that? When is, yep, when's June eleventh. Um, okay. There, the, yep, there's Flight Night. Uh, what, what Reset calls Flight Night. It's a pitch night, and it's an open pitch night, so anybody can go. And anybody uh, can not anybody can pitch though. Uh, well, you no no no. Any, not anybody can pitch. Anybody can just go watch. No, everybody can pitch. Oh, really? It's a completely open oh. pitch night. So you, you you go and you uh, you know hopefully you sign up ahead of time, but you go and you'll have we'll put. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to be selected. Whether it's going to be names in a bowl or if it's going to be uh, okay. first come first serve. But the idea is people are going to pitch. They're going to get feedback from judges. They're going to get feedback from the crowd. And if we have enough time, hopefully we get one or two people to go back up and see how yeah. they've changed. I assume the accelerator companies already are in, like, they are. The the accelerator companies won't be, I think they will have the ability to pitch, but they're not going to, they don't have to. They're going to be at the, the the, the reset has set it up so there will be four flight nights per year, two will be open pitches, and two will be the accelerator companies. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Well, maybe I'll I'll go watch Pitch Perfect, too. Maybe I'll have a good pitch. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) On that note, uh... We sincerely apologize for Eric, folks. Yeah. I'm going to be making corny comments all the time. Okay. I got got great jokes, by the way, people. Great jokes. Yeah, I'm sure the listeners (laughs) think so, too. Yeah, I know, right? Um, One of the things Rosie said was that Reset provides funding, and they also provide access to additional funding down the line. Um, How does that work? Does anyone anyone know? So it's the Social Enterprise Investment Fund, right? Yeah. Right? That's what they can do. Um, Actually, Vishal and Oni, they were the first people to get uh, a loan from them, right? Way to go, go, boys. Way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I believe they were the first ones to get a loan. Um, And I know a couple other companies that it might be applying, uh, but I think that's what they have access to those. I mean, granted, you meet you meet potential people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, there's there's that whole thing, but other than that, I think they're just the social enterprise investment fund. That's a yeah, they have the social enterprise award. Yeah, and, and so yeah, yeah, and then they have the social enterprise investment fund, and they're trying to coordinate with other impact investors yep. who would invest in benefit yeah. type corporations. So. so I think we're gonna wrap it up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you everyone for your time. And we will talk to you next week. All right. Peace out. Ciao. You've just listened to the CT Startup Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or check out our webpage at ctstartup.com where you can find all our social media links. And please, please leave us your feedback. Special thanks to our production team, Kate Rupart, Dylan Gilliatt, and Evan Dobis, as well as our equipment and marketing sponsor, Mirtha Kalina, LLP. Hi, Dave Menard here. As you can imagine with these podcasts, things don't go quite always as planned. Here's a few bloopers related to this episode. Hope you enjoy them. All right. Welcome back. I hope everybody enjoyed the interview with Rosie. So uh, what'd you guys uh, think about it? (laughs) 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 All right. Boom! <laughs> can't fucking get it. I will say something. I will say something. Can we compile all these? <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> all right. Welcome back to the. Uh, fuck. You know. Now you got me all messed up. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs>
we're an hour in and we haven't recorded anything yet. <laughs> oh yeah, I've got a I've got a comment. Right. <laughs> it's like it's like boom, it came to me. It came to me. The exact thing I'm gonna say. Um, <laughs> a twenty minute gap that, until that we was just yes. started it. It was a great like non sequitur. <laughs> All right. Oh, so, so wait a minute. Are you gonna? No. So do I need to start it over again? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Please, please okay. Do. Just right, cool. It's a rhythm thing. All right. Welcome back from the uh, interview. I. Uh, it was a fun time, you know, interviewing Rosie. Uh, it's o- it's always a pleasure talking with her. I mean, it's it's pretty easy to kind of just get into a conversation. Obviously, it was a little awkward now that I was, com- you know, like recording the conversation with her. Uh, but uh, but I think it went well. So uh, what do you guys think about it? How did you how did you guys react to it? I thought it was riveting. But <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that, 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 that was his comment. I had more, but then you guys started laughing. <laughs> I thought it was riveting, <laughs> but it was like, <laughs> man, it's not an IMAX movie. <laughs> no, 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 Rosie the Riveter. <laughs> Rosie oh, sorry, sorry. Rosie. <laughs> Is that, oh, is man. That, is that like, do you have to have little kids to understand that reference? No, no. Yeah, it's like a 1920s, 1940s pun, right? For, yeah. For, for, for oh, great. Kids. I'm doing 40s puns. Awesome. 